0: Let's go. let's go! Come on, everybody, and let's get to pumping, cause it's three days the time, baby. Rip City is jumping now. Okay, Brindle up the middle. Oh. Hey. Right.
1: Come on, everybody!
0: All right, everybody, welcome to the 215th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man
1: Sage chilling here. Just uh finished watching the Timbers game and it's a bummer for everybody who's a bigger fan of the team than me. Cause uh, Dustin was telling me he had s- his stomach in knots and I was just like watching it casually checking my phone. And then I saw that we lost and I was like, Oh, this sucks for people who actually, you know, care and love this team. I- I- I'm just impeding into their process. And it's a bummer for everyone who really cares about this team and who rode with them for this, for this entire year.
0: Yeah, I would definitely consider myself more uh, of a casual Timbers fan. They're probably still a top five sports team for me, um, but I follow them when I can. Like, I don't have cable, so I'll, I'll just use, like, all of the, the apps. And when they were in the MLS's back tournament, I didn't miss a game, but then they started going to local television when the season came back and I really couldn't keep up. But I saw this game where they are in the playoffs. I was like, okay, I'm going to make a note. We're going to watch it. And they get that goal in the 81st minute, and I, I knew they were going to give it up because all the games I watch, they give up the goals in stoppage time in late minutes. And sure enough, they did that there. Um, it's a bummer the season ended that way, but they did win the the season tournament down in Orlando, and I thought that was uh, that was that was a great thing. They also lost one of the best players, Sebastian Blanco. I, I think he blew out his knee up in Seattle during a game against the Sounders earlier this season. So all things considered, not too shabby. You run it back next year. Hopefully they can uh, make an MLS Cup run. But Sage, we have quite a bit of Blazer basketball to talk about. For all of our listeners, uh, we are coming at you hot and heavy with episode after episode. News just keeps spilling out uh, out of one center court. And Sage, so the news we're going to talk about, we've got... The Blazers announcing that CJ Ellaby, the second round draft pick from Washington State, did earn himself a roster spot, two-year deal uh with the minimum, just making a little under one million dollars this season. Uh, they signed Harry Giles from the Sacramento Kings. Uh, if you all remember. Harry Giles was one of the players Portland picked in 2017, but packaged them to move up to get Zach Collins. So it kind of comes full circle. It's the classic Neil Olshay uh, reclamation project. And and God, it's like the fourth or fifth trade we've made with the Kings on forwards who have not hit their potential. And then the biggest news, Carmelo Anthony comes back on a minimum deal. Uh, That was huge news on Saturday. And as it stands now, and the reason we're recording is we feel pretty confident the Blazers are, are just about done. They've got 14 roster spots, one left. Neal traditionally likes to keep a spot open. They're actually very close to the tax line. So it's going to have to be a banger of a move for Portland to, to kind of go go all in even more so. And so that doesn't mean they're done forever. Uh, there's still the regular trade deadline. I mean, we, we've seen deals happen weeks into free agency um mo williams bro that's what i keep telling myself is we did this before this is something
1: neil o'shea has done before we were the one who who signed mo williams and in that year he was he was our one good bench player so yeah i think we're pretty wrapped up but i would think that Neil O'Shea sees that we have only three legitimate ball handlers and for a long season, you probably need another, especially in a COVID era. You probably need that to have the full roster at all times, just because what if you need to have as many healthy and capable bodies as possible? Yeah, we're pretty close to that tax line. I I think that we're definitely going to get a a third point guard or, you know, the, the backup point guard.
0: I personally would would make that move if I was Neil O'Shea and management, I I don't see it now. Um, I I think it's going to have to be uh, somebody on the buyout market. I mean, who knows Nicholas Batum is available if if they're going to kick the tires on that and let Nick run a point forward Um, or like in in 2019 and his cancer became available, they swooped him. So Neil really likes to keep this spot open. So he could go over the tax to get it done. But I think when you only have one spot left, you're gonna be really choosy with it. And I I just I think that that Neil is still infatuated with Anthony Simons. The the coaching staff's gonna give him another go at it. And that's just where we're at. We we both discussed earlier on in the offseason we would have liked a really true tried and true backup point guard that was really high on both of our priority lists but it, it is what it is. There's nothing that we can say will change it. We can only hope for the best that Anthony has, has learned how to just be more comfortable in an offense serviceable on defense. I mean, I, again, I don't want to pile onto him because I think Neil O'Shea hyped him up way too much last offseason. season. I don't think he was physically or mentally ready to play an 82 game season with that much of a workload. And he just, he, he struggled. He, he, he was a, a minus on the floor nearly every time he came to the game. So th- those those are, those are facts. I'm not trying to pile on him. I really do love Ant and want to see him grow here. Um, to me, it's, it it is a little unsettling that we're this close in terms of being like nipping at the Lakers heels that we wouldn't have made that, that move to go all in, but maybe they're, they're expecting Gary Trent type of breakout or, they just want to give him one more shot, but um, I feel for Ant, because I do think he's more of a two than a one. So I think it's square peg round hole uh, scenario here. So time will tell, but you're right, Sage. We cannot have Damon CJ basically play 40 minutes a night. And you ex- you talked about the COVID era. There's going to be players who are going to miss games. Depth is supremely important. Uh, I think that's one of the things the Blazers have done really well this off season in addressing is adding depth at key positions um, this is the glaring weakness. This is mm. this is the move that is really keeping this offseason from being an, an, an A plus for me.
1: So I, I think as of right this now, we have two and a half decision makers. I don't know if I can give Anthony that 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 uh, compliment of saying he can make moves for others and himself. So right now we are light at decision maker creator in the creator role. So I mean I, I, I would suggest that we be patient and it's a long off season. Like a lot of this stuff has happened really quickly, but I think that if we use this 15th spot, it's because Yogi Farrell or Matthew Della Dadova didn't get a good contract and they're willing to take a cheapy one year.
0: Oh, I think they could be had for a cheapy one year right now. I mean, we're seeing minimum deals being handed out. You're seeing short-term deals, uh, Revenue has definitely been impacted by by the coronavirus, and players are aware of that. Montrezl Harrell, who was widely thought of as a max player, yes, he heard his value in the bubble, got a mid-level exception. I mean, we're seeing the the mid-level is really the max guys are getting. You know, Jeremy Grant is really the exception. Teams did not have a lot of money to throw out this offseason. It was kind of a a down free agent class in terms of high-end superstar talent. But there's just been a lot of like, okay, one on one deals. Okay, you play your one guarantee, then you got an option mm-hmm. for the next, or even taking a minimum. So I expect a lot of more uh, I expect a lot more player movement next off season as well, and it will really depend on if there's a vaccine. We can start getting fans in the stands, revenue can start you know going uh, hand over fist, and then we can start seeing that the caps rise, and then you'll have more money to to go out and and dish out. But that that that's been the theme for me this off season, Just how many short term deals that guys are going after really looking to bet on themselves, but also just, it's just the the landscape of the, the NBA economics that that we're in right now.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, but we're at a point right now where we've got guys on cheaper deals that if it's a successful year, like we assume it will be, those guys aren't going to be had for those cheap deals. So it's kind of, we're in a, a weird situation where it's like, it would behoove us to, to be able to push every ounce of energy and salary and value towards the goal of this season, because we're not going to be in such a beautiful direction with the team next year, just because salaries are going to go up. We're not going to get a, a $5 million backup center. We're probably going to have to pay more. So this would be the year that I would definitely push in my chip since we have the, the horses to run it. Why not get that last horse in the stable? I think that this is the type of year where Neil and management should be like, okay, we have a legitimate chance. Let's push this th- this last ship in and get that backup point guard.
0: Yeah, exactly. You look at Houston, there's turmoil down there with, with Russ Harden and ownership. You look at Golden State, unfortunately, losing Clay Thompson again to a season-long injury. Clippers have chemistry issues. There is an opening there to make a run. This starting to feel a lot like 2019 in the fact that we've got depth, but we've got short-term deals. What I do love is that we have more financial flexibility. We will be able to sign some of these players back, but, you know, I tweeted out today, we have a lot of free agents next year. Um, If if you go down the list, Ennis Cantor is going to be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Zach Collins has the qualifying offer. Gary Trent Jr. is a restricted free agent. Uh, Rodney Hood, we control that deal. It is a non fully guaranteed contract essentially as a team option. Derek Jones Jr. He is going to have a player option. Those are five pieces and a lot of them at at key spots and and really deep into the rotation. So just enjoy this year. And that comes back to pushing all of your chips. It's now or never. And that's why we've been harping on when now go all in. We can't worry about the future. If, And I'm just throwing out there, if if Zach Collins or Anthony Simons turns out to be Jermaine O'Neal 2.0, so be it. I think this point in time, you have to kind of bite that bullet. And I mean, if you're a gambler
1: and you see an edge, you take that edge and put in more money. Like in DFS, when I see that I know something and have an edge over them, I will put more money in to take advantage of that edge. I think Neil O'Shea sees that he has an advantage and the second spot in the West is available. If he's who the man, I think he is. He's, he's telling ownership. Let's get this guy. Let's get this guy. Cause there's definitely a hole at, at number two in the West. So I, I I think that he is pushing those chips and trying to get that, that last, that last player.
0: Yeah. And I think that's why they're leaving the spot open. They're going to wait and see how the season unfolds a bit. Maybe they make a trade. Maybe they pick someone up off the buyout market. Uh, You just never know. It is a 72 game season. It's going to be condensed. It's starting in one month from today. And I can't wait. I think we have got a really talented squad. But the big news after day one was Carmelo Anthony. And I had started to prepare myself for the fact that Mello was leaving. We didn't have the money. We had picked up Covington. We had just picked up Ennis Cantor. I didn't honestly know where a lot of the minutes were going to come from. I don't anticipate him starting. And so I thought he might take a bigger offer from a team like the Knicks. Mm -hmm. He really could have signed uh, deals with the Lakers or the Clippers to to really make um, ring chase, essentially, and have a legitimate shot at winning a ring. But – hearing that Carmelo Anthony valued loyalty and coming back on a minimum deal, knowing that his role was going to be reduced, um, knowing that what he experienced in the regular season and in the bubble wasn't going to be the same, but the fact that Portland reached out when he was shunned by 29 other teams and he reciprocated that feeling, giving us a deal. I mean, let's be real given his production, what he brings in a, from a locker room perspective, what Mm -hmm. he can bring from a fan perspective worth way more than the minimum. You know, we can talk about his defense and we can talk about some of his shot selection, but for the most part, you're getting a 15 point per game score when he's getting his chances and he's doing it fairly efficiently. And he's just got that name recognition that small market franchises quite honestly yearn for. So for the fact that Carmelo says, I want to be with you, that means the world to me because it's, it's bigger than basketball. It's bigger than him putting a bucket, you know, the, the ball in the bucket. It, it just goes to show that the Blazers meant something to him. And so I think that's where you're going to see Carmelo become almost like a cult, cult legend in rip city. He kind of already is, but the fact that he came back um, you look guys down, down the list, Brian Grant played three years here, just three. He is a legend. I mean, he's on all of them. He's on, he's an ambassador. He comes back for all the alumni nights it's just starting to become that sort of love affair. And when fans feel like that's being reciprocated, I think that goes a long way, but, but mostly what I love, just that leadership, that, that, vet presence, he was so clutch in the bubble. He had so many big threes. I just think he brings a sense of confidence and like, Oh, we got mellows come. Okay. Like, I think that really started to, kind of build up the anticipation for the season as well like that was a big big signing and really when, when Olga yelled it out because I was downstairs I think I was getting something to drink she just yells back Melo's back and I I just I, I was through the roof of the day I was so stoked and it was because I thought he was gone and I, I guess I didn't realize how much Carmelo coming back meant to The team, the city, myself as a fan, uh, I think that given the value of the deal, um, I think that even gives the team a little bit more incentive to go out and let's win one for Melo. Let's win one for everyone, but let's get him another deep playoff run.
1: I think that we talked about it last episode where it's a culture move. I think that Carmelo Anthony is a culture move. Let's be real about the, the power forward position for the Blazers. We have Robert Covington. But behind him, it's Zach Collins, who is recovering from surgery, and Harry Giles, someone who's really never had a full 82-game season or a 70-game season. He's always had major injury issues. There is a chance and a pretty good chance that Carmelo gets 16 minutes, 20 minutes a game in the beginning of the season. Like We have a lot of really talented power forwards that have some serious injury issues. I think Melo sees a, a path to getting rotation minutes on a playoff team too. If he went to the Knicks, what are the chances the New York Knicks make the playoffs next year? Five percent? Yeah, and that might be. and That's, that's very generous. Of generous, yeah. He's made millions upon millions of dollars. What's more important: showing loyalty to a team that took a risk on him, and has a chance for him to produce on a winning team or playing and getting a little bit more money. I think it was a easier decision than were than at first thought, because I'm nervous about Zach Collins. I think that even when he's healthy, he's going to be on a minutes restriction and Harry Giles is kind of an injury risk as well. So mellow could definitely be seeing some major minutes this year.
0: I 100% agree. I think right now you look at him, he's probably 6th sixth, sixth or 7th man off the bench. Uh, he and Gary Trent Jr. I think are going to uh, man that bench unit. And you can run offense through Mello uh, on bench players. Like He's shown the ability to punish smaller defenders in the post. He can isolate and get you a quick bucket. And off the catch and shoot, he was about as uh, cash as you can ask for. So Ultimately, this move just really cements Portland as a top four team out West. Um, And I think finally, I think if you look at a guy like Damian and CJ, who have wanted to get additional members, um, talented members of the NBA Brotherhood on their roster. I mean, they openly recruited Carmelo in, in 2017. First time I'd ever seen Damian or CJ do that it was almost like we were going to be, you know, the bridesmaid again, never mm-hmm. the bride. Oh, Mello finally went to the dance with us, but that was because everybody else was unavailable. And then after he had a good time, Oh no, he, he doesn't really like us. He, he's just going to go. He'll find the, that date he was really after. But the fact that he stayed, I think for, for Dame, that's even just got to be like a little bit of a relief because he, I feel especially him, has had the weight of the franchise on his shoulders. He has seen teams, uh, players team up, create create super teams. He's seen free agents go elsewhere. And I think it would have probably done a lot of, it just might've been a mental blow for for Dame to be like, like I can't even get like a 36 year old Carmelo Anthony to stick around. Like I don't even want those seeds of of doubt to be, to start planting in, in Dame's mind. So I think this was a really nice, reassurement that what he is doing here in Portland is working. This is the formula. This is the way this is how it's going to be moving forward.
1: I think that Carmelo will be a really nice release valve for Anthony Simons because if he is going to be the backup point guard, He's going to need those release fouls. You've got Gary Trent, who's a knockdown shooter. You've got Carmelo, who's very familiar with having the ball in his hands in clutch situations. So let's say they're pressing Anthony because he's a young point guard who has shown troubles being a good initiator. Pass it to Melo and let him initiate that second unit might be a good move to keep Anthony's uh, confidence up for the uh, stretcher run.
0: So we've touched on Mello and we will get into uh, more conversations about what the rotation looks like and how it fits. We've got a couple of fan questions that, that address that. So we'll save that for later, but Sage, let's uh, address the Harry Giles signing, which I think kind of came out of nowhere. Um, he is a, a four or five kind of like a point center, essentially, I think from the Sacramento Kings comes to Portland again, he was the number one recruit coming out of high school. He was the consensus number one draft pick. Before he had the second knee surgery, um, just kind of devastating that his career has kind of been hindered by, by the injury factor. But when he's been healthy, you can see the talent is there. Um, I don't necessarily mind this as your 12th man. I think you have a lot more um, gripe about it if it's last offseason and it's a Mario Hazonia mm-hmm. and that's your ninth man you don't, you can't take that risk with your ninth man. Like this is a player who's probably going to get mop up minutes might play if foul trouble persists, if somebody gets injured or, or whatnot, or if you're just trying to rest. So I don't mind it as the 12th signing. Uh, I think you roll the dice and, and see if you can, can hit a home run. I think that he has a bigger role. Let's say we're playing a team with an athletic
1: center that loves running pick and roll. I would much rather throw Harry out there instead of Ennis if, let's say we're playing the Knicks and they have OB Toppin running pick and roll with Alfred Payton. That's a bad place to put Ennis Cantor in. So I would definitely throw Harry Giles in. I think he's a spot player. As the NBA becomes more athletic at the 4-5, I think that he does have a role. He is a talented player. I think that talent early on kind of was a a speed bump for him because he was just able to, he wasn't used to developing that counter off of his move. He still has a lot of room for development, but right now when I watched the Sacramento Kings, I saw him be hyper aggressive defensively and pick up a lot of fouls. And he is a good passer, but sometimes it looked like he was over hesitating before he made the pass. Very moldable, but we have to be very gentle with him because we can't risk him being injured for a long period of time because we have a lot of bigs now, but if Harry Giles goes, then we have a lot of bigs that are very similar. He's the one diverse player on that that, as a four five. So I I think that there should be like some restrictions for him to play those, those minutes.
0: I agree. And and I hadn't thought about that, that spot minute kind of, curveball type of player, but we did get burnt pretty bad when we had Ennis in the Western Conference Finals uh, going up against the Warriors, playing against mm-hmm. that pick and roll, and the drop uh, we got just destroyed when Hassan was trying to play the pick and roll last year as well. So to have an athletic five uh, really can help Portland uh, match up with teams and gives Terry Stotts a lot more weapons uh, to use. And it's going to be interesting – we're really talking about two players and Harry Giles and Zach Collins vying for, for one spot. And they were both in the same draft class. Uh, oddly enough, they both are injured uh, injury prone players. And it, it's just going to be interesting to see how that plays out because Zach has more history here, but mm. if, Zach is not able to start the season and, and Giles is by all accounts healthy right now. If he gets off to a good start, you're really looking at Zach being buried on that depth chart. And all of a sudden, is he going to get dealt? I mean, he's not going to be happy being with the fifth or sixth big on, on the blazer roster. I and mean, you can already count Nurk Melo and Roko. They're getting minutes. Ennis, I assume is going to get a, a quite a few quality minutes as well. So there are spot minutes to get Harry Giles, he's trying to eat too. he He mm-hmm. wants a bigger contract than the minimum. So I think he he's really gonna push Zach Collins and Zach Collins will push Harry Giles. I, I think it really works out both ways because competition, you know, you know iron sharpens iron. And so I really like that they're gonna have some battles in practice. And for the first time in a long time, we feel like we're a pretty deep team sage. Like we're talking about battles at the you know, the fifth and sixth big. I mean, God, last year, our fifth and sixth big were starting for us. So it's crazy how mm-hmm. the tables have turned this offseason.
1: Once Zach is healthy, he, if if things are going well, he's going to have a, a very tough time in earning minutes for a, a team competing. So it, 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 is, it is a bad spot for Zach. Even though he has the years, he doesn't have the health. And being available is really important, especially when you're competing. So... Right now, the availability goes to Harry Giles until until he uh, until Zach can prove that he is able to play and be consistent and not get hurt.
0: It's Harry's job to lose right now. So, as we did last podcast, let's let's initially grade both of these signings. What do you have on Carmelo?
1: I think it's an A because it's a culture move, it's a respect move, it's a it's a respect move on both sides of mellow and the blazer. So I give it an a Harry Giles is, you know, a low risk proposition for some blue chip talent. So it, it's very Neal It's very, it's a very smart move. So I, I give it a B plus, but you know, th- there's always those concerns about injuries. So he doesn't get the a just because every single year he's gotten hurt and the can King, the Kings have spent time with them. So, they didn't even pick up his fourth year option. They, the the injury issues are real and very prevalent for Harry Giles.
0: Yeah, I I agree on Carmelo. I'll go a plus just because of what I think it does intangible wise. I think it just gives a team a nice mental boost knowing that you've got this vet who's really down to, to ride to ride with the squad. Um, I just loved his presence. I thought he was a calming presence. He's able to hit big shots. And whether maybe this is just me thinking as a fan, but I, I like the fact that we have Carmelo Anthony, like from a media perspective, we're no longer little old Portland. Like, okay, Carmelo's coming to staying in Portland. Okay. Like that's a big deal. Like start to shift that narrative. So I give the mellow sign. I mean, obviously it's one year minimum. Like that's the value is ridiculous. Um, a plus there Giles, I'll go B minus. Don't hate it. Um, I think it's a very low risk, high reward. Uh, my only concern is is the injury and we in Portland have dealt with our fair share of injured bigs and we had a really injury riddled season last year. But, um, I think again, we're talking 12th man, I can live with it. Ninth man, I'd feel a lot more harsh and would really, have wanted to have seen a backup point guard with that, but um overall it can't be too sad. Sage overall off season so far. What do you have as a grade? Oh,
1: it's very good? I mean, it's 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 in the a range for sure. Um getting a vet point guard would make it for sure an A, but it, it's a very good offseason. I mean, every move has thought towards it, you know. Like again, using Detroit as the, the example of bad. They just signed all of these backup centers and now are just trading them off. Like, at least when you look at the Blazers offseason, you think of thought. You know, we got the we got guys that can play off ball defense that can be good team defenders. We found that backup center. We uh, classy and honorable for Rodney Hood. Everything had a thought to it. So I'm very, very happy with our offseason.
0: Yeah, I would give it an A as well. Um, I'm still not in love with the Derrick Jones Jr. signing, um, especially when we could have had, theoretically, Chris Dunn and Maurice Harkless for less money than than Jones. But everything else has been an A. And so just the weight of those takes over. I'll give the offseason an A. Uh, we have been talking about bringing Carmelo back. We We talked about going after Ennis Cantor with the trade exception. Uh, Robert Covington was a trade target, more like a trade pipe dream. I'm still in shock that we were able to land uh, rocco at, To me, still the best move that, I, that I've seen this offseason. And, you know, like you said, you do right by Rodney. And you take a flyer, you do a Neil O'Shea special on on Harry Giles. And, hey, would love to be wrong on, on Derek Jones, but at least he's going to play some defense and – you know, it's it's a deal that's in line with what a lot of people are are getting offered. So hopefully he he produces. And overall, a I think Neil O'Shea did about as good of a job as you could ask. He still left a roster spot open to make one final move if the team needs to kind of get over that hump. And, and now the onus really lies on on the players and Terry Stotts and his coaching staff to get prepared in an unprecedented season to to make that that push. But Sage, you, you talked about Detroit in their offseason. Let, let's give our overall NBA offseason winners and losers. Clearly, there's still moves to be made, but I'll, the majority of the deals ha- have been out there. Um, who g- Give me two to three teams that you really feel like had a winning, winning offseason.
1: I think the Blazers, for one, has to be on there. Um, I think the Phoenix Suns getting the trade for uh, Chris Paul, getting Jay Crowder it's been so long since they've been a good team. Chris Paul and Jay Crowder make that team good. And I, th- I think that the, the fans of Phoenix rightfully are, are excited about it. So those are the two that I think that, that are the biggest bright spots.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I was Olga was a uh, Thanksgiving shopping. So I stayed in the car, you know, we're trying to limit how many people go into the store. So I, I stayed in the car and I was, preparing for this podcast and just, just thinking about who my off season winners were. And and those were honestly the the top two that came to my mind as well. Um, Portland is getting high praise from, you know, Rachel Nichols, Bobby Marks, uh, Rob Perez on, on Twitter. And it makes me a little uneasy, but also, okay. If people are seeing the same things that I am seeing, maybe (laughs) it's, there is some validity to it. Maybe it's not just my rose colored glasses. So I, I thought Portland had a fantastic off season. They really addressed the needs of what went wrong last year and what went right in 2019. And then the Phoenix Suns, Chris Paul is going to be their version of Carmelo Anthony, their floor general They're They finally get a a true veteran presence in that locker room to, to lead the team. Devin Booker may be the best player, but make no mistakes about it. Chris Paul is now the unquestioned number one alpha dog in that locker room. Mm -hmm. What he say goes, Everyone get in line because it's follow the leader and that leader is CP3. And then Jay Crowder, I mean, we you all know he he was my number one free agency target when Jeremy Grant played himself out of our range uh, financially. And to get him on a three-year deal from the middle-level exception, he is gonna either be their sixth man or their starting four. Uh I, I really like what what they did. Um they did lose Aaron Baines, which I think will hurt. I don't think Jalen Smith's gonna be ready to play right away, but Again, really think it's a strong offseason for Phoenix and they're set up to, to make a playoff run for the first time in 10 seasons.
1: And they could easily play the buyout market because they have vets. Like, you're telling me that some center that is out of a job right now wouldn't want to uh, play for the Suns with Chris Paul? Like, there's a chance that they add that that missing piece of, of the backup center. DeAndre Ayton. the potential to be the most improved player this year with Chris Paul throwing him lobs and showing him how to be a real center. So the Suns definitely have a very bright one or two years where they can enjoy being watching their team in the playoffs, which is a really awesome awesome thing when you haven't seen it in a long time.
0: So that was the good sage. Give me the bad and even the ugly uh, of the NBA offseason.
1: I think it has to be the D and that's Detroit and the Charlotte Hornets. uh, I mean, it was a very confusing signing Gordon Hayward and then having to stretch Nicholas Batum and having him on your, your books for more years. So that, that one has to be the most confusing just because what are you doing? What you're making it worse for your salaries. Give Gordon Hayward a few million less and like let Nico expire. But I guess they had to really push for Gordon Hayward to
0: take usage away from LaMelo ball. Yeah. I think clearly Detroit is everyone's loser. Um, Mine as well. They. They're going to suck. They redeemed themselves a little bit by flipping Tony Bradley for Zaire Smith, who was a lottery pick out of Texas tech. Who's really had just an unfortunate two years Start to his career. Hopefully he can get a lot of playing time and revitalize himself. Um, but again, throwing 20 million per year at, at Jeremy Grant to, to be your to be your one. I mean, he is going to be their leading scoring option. Um, they took Isaiah Stewart at 16, which we discussed on the last podcast. Mason Plumlee getting starters minutes and money uh already have Blake Griffin. I mean, I have no idea what Troy Weaver is doing down in, in the motor city. Um, Charlotte, I hadn't thought about, but that is absolutely, um, another team that just didn't get it right and constantly fails to get it right. But I had two other teams, um, Boston. Uh, so this was the second max free agent that they have, that they essentially let walk for nothing. Uh, first it was Kyrie Irving and now Gordon Hayward. They lose Hayward. Uh, they lose Aaron Baines. They're not able to, they lost Ennis Cantor. Uh, they did really very minimal with the draft picks. Uh, they gave up Desmond Bain for for nothing. Mm-hmm. And they failed to sign any of those bigs, whether it was Marcus Gasol, Serge Ibaka, Jay Crowder, none. Tristan Zoltis Thompson's
1: today. not going to be the athletic center that they desired. No, I mean, what's the difference between him and Grant Williams and Daniel Theis? Is there really a difference?
0: Tristan Thompson's also a player that kind of scares me. I mean, he really kind of went into obscurity after LeBron essentially got him that bag after the 2016 championship. Um, I don't know if he's a player that I would feel really solid about, like counting on to be a, a consistent contributor. Uh, maybe it was Cleveland, and then LeBron left, and he's like, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna you know count my money," and then I'll wait until free agency to really start trying. But uh, I didn't like what Boston did, if especially when you're considering the East is completely wide open i uh, think
1: that they improved they made t- jason Tatum sign that super max which is very important so that makes it better than charlotte like you you get the superstar that could be a top five player in the future signed to your team for four more years that has to give you a better
0: offseason the fucking charlotte true but when you look at it from a high level and you think, okay, Charlotte, we, we know you're going to be trash. Even if you add Gordon Hayward, you're still going to be a lottery team. This is the Boston Celtics. Danny Ainge and his war chest of assets was an Eastern Conference finalist last year. I would have expected them to just add more, to really say, okay, no, we're the team to beat out East. Eastern Conference comes through Boston. Uh, they, they just didn't do it. So I think when you just factor in what's at stake, I thought Boston stubbed their toe, but Charlotte definitely But there's one more team, and I don't think they're getting enough um, flack for just how poorly the offseason has gone for them, and that is the Denver Nuggets. Oh, I thought you were going to say Minnesota. No. uh, The Denver Nuggets, a Western Conference finalist just a year ago, they saw Mason Plumlee leave for Detroit. Not their fault that Jeremy Grant left for Detroit as well. They apparently matched his contract. He said, no, I want more opportunities. I want a larger role. Okay. Uh, And then – they had not enough roster spots and they'd let their starting small forward, Tori Craig, just walk, goes on signs with, with Milwaukee. Um, they sign Paul 36 year old Paul Millsap one year, and then they get Jermichael Green, who's a solid pickup uh, for Los Angeles Clippers. And all I keep thinking about is the Nuggets are having an off season like the Blazers had last year. And I was on some uh, some forums and I was reading what Denver fans had to say. A lot of them were talking themselves into this offseason, similar to what we did as Blazer fans last year. Like, oh, Torrey Craig and Mason Plumley really didn't play that well in the playoffs. Well, neither did Al-Faruq Aminu and uh, Mo Harkles, but we missed them a lot during the regular season. Um, banking on Michael Porter Jr. to take that next step, like we banked on Zach Collins. You know, MPJ has injury history, doesn't play a lick of defense. Torrey Craig was there. He was a decent defender on the wing, which you're almost like a cornerback on an Island. Like you're there one-on-one. If you get beat, you get beat, but you have to put up your best effort 30, 40 times a night, you know, down, down each possession. That's going to hurt. Defensively, where is this team going to get a stop? Because Gary Gary Harris, I guess. That's not it. He's going to hurt you on the offensive end too. So, um, yes, I love Murray. I love Jokic. I think they're fantastic. I would have sold high on Michael Porter Jr. I think that decision to not deal him is going to bite them in the ass. Um, I think Denver took a, a big step backwards. And if you're you're Portland, I mean, outside of the moves we made, seeing Jeremy Grant take more take the the same contract and go east was probably the biggest W of of free agency. Mm-hmm. Um, just a massive win. If you're a Blazer fan, I think it makes Portland's. Uh, I I just think they're a better team right now uh, than Denver. Mm. Yeah. I mean, they
1: did what they could to uh, patch up Jeremy and Mace leaving, but it, it, they, it's a complete and total loss of talent. And they had a lot of it. They had so much talent that they traded uh, Beasley and uh, Herman Gomez to, to Minnesota because they had so much. Now it's like, Where's our wing depth? It, it really is non-existent. If if you're you're trying to stop a, a, a creator like a, a dame, you need to have somebody that is willing to make those, those tough defensive plays. And right now they don't really
0: have it. Yeah, I, I kind of look at them as the Atlanta of the West. They're going to score a lot of points. They are going to be difficult as all hell to defend. But they have no one who is going to put up a fight on that defensive end of the floor. And obviously we saw that this year. Portland Dame, Dame scored 60 points twice. We damn near lost both of those mm-hmm. games. So um, I'm happy to see Denver take a step back. But Sage, I want to look at the West right now. I mean, clearly we'll do our our season preview, but as it stands, we're, we're a month out. We've seen a couple of days of free agency. We've seen the draft. Let's Let's look at our top 10 teams in the Western Conference. And let's each kind of go team by team. I'll let you kick it off with your number 10 team.
1: So at 10, I'm going to say that the Houston Rockets, two high variants right now. So I think that the New Orleans Pelicans are going to be the uh, the 10th team because they the trade they got, I think Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams is a better combo than Drew and Derek Favors extra games with Zion and Brandon being the lead guys are going to be a uh, asset to them. So I think they're going to win more games and because of the structure and the, the the culture that the Pelicans are establishing, I think that beats them out for Houston for the 10th spot.
0: I've got Houston right now. And it's really just because of, the old. Well, this is as of right now, and right now they have James Harden and Christian Wood and, and Russell Westbrook and Eric Gordon and PJ Tucker. Yes, they're breaking a new coach. Their general manager left, but at the end of the day, they still have James Harden. You know, ESPN Tim McMahon Tim McMahon reported that they're willing to get really uncomfortable in Houston this this season. So I think that's just way of saying Brooklyn, Philadelphia, any other team, get your offers up. So this team could fall by the wayside. They could move up. Who knows? But for right now, just really based on the fact that they have James Harden, I've got them at 10. Um, I think they are a team that maybe took the biggest step back this year mm-hmm. in the Western Conference that didn't want to. Clearly, Oklahoma City wanted to hit that reset button. So bummer of an offseason if you are a Houston Rocket fan. But uh, who do you have at number nine, Sage? At number
1: nine, I have Utah Jazz what worries me about the Utah jazz is the relationship between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert as the two dominant players. Donovan thinks that Rudy Gobert is in the way too much when he's trying to isolate or run a pick and roll. Rudy Gobert is there. I just don't trust that this is going to be a cohesive unit when games matter. So I'm putting them at nine and Derek favors just absolutely does not fit as a backup big and Utah overpaid by giving him a player option on the third year. So I would give the ninth spot to the Utah Jazz, and I'm well aware that they're very talented and have scorers, but chemistry matters, and right now they don't have any.
0: At nine, I've got the upstart Memphis Grizzlies. I could be talked into moving them into the playoffs. Uh, John Moran's a future star in the making, but everything hinges on Jaron Jackson Jr., We saw how versatile he was in in the bubble, especially playing against Portland. Uh, He can hit the three. He can finish around the basket. He's a versatile uh, defender. He's really athletic. He's really everything you want in a prototypical power forward. And they've got a lot of young talent. Uh, They've got Brandon Clark. They've got uh, two rookies in Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman, the both that you really like. And they also have Dylan Brooks, who just got that that nice contract extension, who was a second round steal from, from Memphis. But what scares me is the fact that they don't really have a small forward right now. Um, I don't love D'Anthony Melton coming off the bench, especially for the contract that they gave him. And Jaron Jackson Jr.'s health is terrifying. If he's your, your second best player and you don't know if you can count on him long term, that's going to be an interesting fit. You've also got Jonas Valanciunas, who... He plays well in stretches, but I would argue the game's kind of passed him by in terms mm-hmm. of overall impact for an entire season. They, they actually played better, in my opinion, when it's Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. So I think they've got some some growing pains to work through as they're a young team trying to, trying to get their footing underneath them. But right now I have them solidly in the play-in game. So they could still make it, but I just have them needing to win two rather than one. But speaking of only needing to win one if there was a play-in scenario. We're talking playoffs right now, Sage. Who would be your number eight team out West?
1: One last thing about uh, the Grizzlies is they actually drafted Robert Wooder, who is a small forward for them. It's a it's a bad position group. I, I mean, I'll at least say his name when they're talking about the draft pick because he was actually their draft pick. I I think that the Memphis Grizzlies will make the playoffs and be the eighth seed. Uh, I, I trust that John Morant will take the next step. I think that they've built enough depth to withstand injuries when they have multiple skilled players at every position. I think that they do make the playoffs, and though those draft picks will make that difference. is They continue to get value in the draft, and those, those players know their role, know how to talk defensively, something that the Blazers had such a huge trouble with last year being able to communicate and play good defense. I think that that's going to make the Memphis Grizzlies a playoff team or the eighth seed.
0: Yeah. I think for jaw to take the next step, it starts with his jumper. If he can't Mm -hmm. make it, he's going to be a lot more easier to defend and that's going to be what makes or breaks their season. I also, I wouldn't put too much stock in, in rookies drafted late in the first round of a draft to make impact right away. It just, it doesn't happen too often. So I would pump the brakes on. Nope. The- nope. Nope. Cause <laughs> these guys, these guys know their
1: roles. They're going to shoot and play defense and get rebounds. And we talk about rookies, but these are the guys that in the second round are, are the most likely to hit the, the, the veteran uh, college students that, are, that NBA teams don't like because of their value of being older. I think that though Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman and will be good role players to start and continue to get better.
0: Dog, you need to like be their agent or something because you are hyping these players up to a level I don't even think they can go to. But I digress. Uh, who do you have at I, Before we go to number seven, number eight, I have Golden State. <laughs> Clearly, they would have been a lot higher had Clay Thompson not been hurt with that that torn Achilles. Uh, Steph Curry's finally going to see what it feels like to be Damian Lillard for once and and not have a a God squad uh, around him. He's going to get double teamed. He's going to get triple teamed. trapped at half court. Um, He's going to have to extend his range even further out than what it already is. And that's already, uh, he's probably already shooting from across the Bay, but they did pick up Kelly Oubre. They got him with that trade exception, which was a nice pickup. They're still paying Andrew Wiggins a lot of money. Their center position is talented, but young, and James Wiseman, they may start Kevon Looney instead. And you just really don't know what you're going to get with Draymond Green. Is He's not going to be your defensive player of the year anymore. I don't think he's got that left in the tank. But he has to be better than what he was this year when he just didn't give a shit. I mean, you would hope so. But I'm really concerned that the second injury, it's going to take a mental toll on that, that organization. Or an organization so used to winning that they're going to have to fight through some adversity this year. And if they get off to a slow start – I could see them, again, not having the horses to to make that kick into the playoffs. So I could honestly be talked into seeing Golden State out of the postseason, but uh, that's my eight. Who do you have at seven, Sage?
1: I have the Phoenix Suns because of um, Chris Paul's addition and Jay Crowder being a bet. is going to help that team mature. They have a lot of young, talented guys. What would benefit them the most is having these guys that hate losing yelling at them, helping them improve. So, having a guy like Chris Paul, the ultimate point guard, telling them what to do, how to play, how to practice is going to be huge for him. Devin Booker's going to take a huge step. DeAndre Ayton's going to take a huge step. Mikael Bridges is going to be that defensive piece that he was thought to be and had a narrative of being. So, this team is really ready to go and Chris Paul is ready to drive this team to the playoffs.
0: At seven, I've got Luka in the Mavs, and it's really only because they have Luka Doncic. Uh, Chris Taps porzingis is dealing with another injury. They're not certain how many games he's going to miss uh, to start the season. They did add Josh Richardson to add some defense to that roster, but they had to give up, I think, one of their best complimentary pieces in Seth Curry, who I thought fit playing alongside Luka like a glove. You're talking about a player who can defend handle the ball, hit an open shot, even create on occasion. So I thought that was, it was maybe a net neutral or a net negative move just because of how much I value Seth Curry and what he's able to do. They do get Dwight Powell back, but that forces Porzingis to play the four and they were so efficient on offense when Porzingis was playing the five. Uh, I do like a lot of their role players, Maxi Kleber, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, but I think they're they're saving their chips for next offseason, next free agency class. I think this is the squad they're going to roll with. And they'll, they'll get in just based off of the power of Luka alone. Like, Luka is going to run the league pretty soon. It's going to be, you know, fueled by Doncic. So mm-hmm. get used to it. Last year was only the start, and he's going to be a, a force to be reckoned with for, for some time. Uh, who do you have at six, Sage?
1: I have the uh, Dallas Mavericks, I think, that. Like you said, Luca, it's all on Luca and uh, I'm willing to let, I I think that he's going to take that step and be the, the ultimate creator that he is everything, do everything for the Dallas Mavericks. They have enough shooting for him. They've added some defense. I I think it all depends on Luca, but I think that they're going to be one spot higher in the, uh, in the playoffs just because of Luca's greatness.
0: Aside from the Rockets, the team that took the biggest step back to me is the Denver Nuggets. So I have them as my sixth seed, and I, I really contemplated putting them higher based upon their resiliency that they showed in the bubble. Clearly, you have Murray and you have Jokic. That was the dynamic duo, the emergence of Porter Jr. But every time I, I went and I stared at their roster and I thought of the changes and what they lost, it just it didn't add up to me. I, I couldn't in good faith really put them as high as two or three as they had been in the past they lost a lot of depth. I mean, you're talking about the Minnesota trade, losing Hernan Gomez and Beasley. They lost their starting small forward in Torrey Craig. They lost their backup center in Mason Plumlee. And they lost Jeremy Grant, who was, a, he was the reason they took that next step uh, last season when they acquired him from Oklahoma City. It, it's, you know, we, we see Jokic and how great he is in the bubble. The same thing with Murray, that they turn it on in those playoff games when it's needed. They're now going to have to do that stage for 82 games because they can't just rely on their depth uh, of, of just the team going out and winning just, you know, really just wearing a team down over the course of 48 minutes, 82 games a night because they had just, they were 12 deep. They were one of the deepest teams mm. in, in the NBA, but the depth is gone. Yoke is just going to have to flip that switch and become a top five, top seven player on a nightly basis, be assertive. And then there's just that lack of defense. I don't know who on that team's going to get you a stop. I mean, sure, Gary Harris can go out and try and guard one, but modern NBA teams have two, three, four, five weapons on the floor at once. You'll an NBA coach will spot the weakness and attack. So that's uh, why Denver is, is lower than maybe most would have expected on on my list. Uh, who do you have at five, Sage?
1: I, I'm I'm betting on the Golden State. Their scheme how smart they are, Steph Curry's greatness as a point guard. I know that they took a step back, unfortunately, with uh, the Clay Thompson injury. But when you have such a smart coaching staff, they're going to create opportunities for uh, Andrew Wiggins, for a Kelly Oubre to produce at a high level. Uh, I, I do think that they are going to be hindered by Clay, but it's It's hard to bet against Steph Curry anytime. So if they can stay healthy, I think they're going to be the the fifth seed. I've
0: got the Utah jazz. and this was the hardest team for me to peg because I didn't love what they did in the offseason. You mentioned favors overpaying for him. I think they overpaid for Jordan Clarkson. He was a player that inflated his value in the bubble, essentially the West West Western Conference version of TJ. Warren. But, Mike Conley, who has one year left on his deal, is about $34 million, started to play like the old Mike Conley in the bubble. He also wasn't able to play in those first two games with Denver because he was, you know, with his wife for the birth of their child. And then he had to quarantine. You also factor in that, that Bogdanovich was not able to play in the bubble as well. And he was their starting power forward. And, you know, Joe Ingles is a solid small forward. Donovan Mitchell, I think, took that next step. Um It's it's the team that I could see finishing higher, finishing lower. It, it's really hard for, for me to, to decide where they're going to land. But based upon them getting that 3-1 lead, doing a lot of it without Mike Conley, I'll give them that benefit of the doubt. Uh, but now we're talking about the top four. We're talking about home court advantage. Who do you have at four, Sage? And And
1: I have the Denver Nuggets. I think that they slip next year. I think that this year they do have depth. Ha- they do have players that are willing to work, and they have a really great organization and coaching structure. So I think this year they'll maintain how good they were, maybe take a little drop, but still maintain elite level. And then next year, if they don't do some fast operations, they start to fall. I think this this year they get the, the reprieve of still being a top
0: four team. I am buying stock in the Phoenix Suns. They are my number four team. Whoa. Wow. That's awesome. I love the addition of Chris Paul. They finally have a grown ass adult in the locker room. They have a leader. Uh, make no mistakes about it. Devin Booker is the best player. He's the most talented. But, De- but Chris Paul, the day he got traded, is unquestionably and undoubtedly the leader of that team everyone get in line and you're going to follow cp3 he's going to make deandre Ayton a better player he's going to make devin booker a better player he's going to get on your ass whether you like it or not and get them to play the, the professional way i mean this was a young team that was really just out there playing for shits and giggles uh, having a bit, a bit of fun going off of talent but they never had a true leader of veteran presence I absolutely love the addition of Jay Crowder. Uh, they got him locked up for three years. He's going to either start or come off the bench as the sixth man. Uh, you got flamethrower and Cam Johnson, defensive stopper and Mikhail Bridges. Booker looked like he took that Donovan Mitchell next step in, in the bubble. And then you got DeAndre Ayton. I, I don't like the fact that they lost Aaron Baines. I think that could come back to hurt them a bit, but uh, I think they're going to take that momentum and I think they're going to, they're going to run with it. And uh, so who do you have at, at number three Sage?
1: And and you know Monty Williams is hyped to have Chris Paul. They had that one magical year in New Orleans. You know that they bonded and Monty's kind of one of those coaches that is too nice. So to have a guy who can be an asshole like Chris Paul is huge. Three, I, I have the Los Angeles Clippers. They have a lot of issues with personality, not being as cohesive as a team as as possible but they have great coaching they have great players the top two teams edge them out because of their continuity and how well they've played together or potentially could play together i'm putting the clippers at three because at the trade deadline there's so much pressure for the clippers as well like everyone could leave in the next year so
0: that pressure could
1: it could create diamonds but it also could bust pipes
0: That's a great line. Uh, I think we have the same uh, number one, so we'll leave that later, but I think our two threes are a little flop. So I have the Clippers at two and and I'll talk about Portland at three and you'll talk about them at two, but let's just keep it on the track of talking about the same team. So I have the Clippers at two um, and it's probably only out of a fear of my own optimism that Mm -hmm. I don't want to put the Blazers at two. I don't want to get too hyped, um, get my expectations too over control or out of control. Uh, But the Clippers... I think there is a form of hurt. Um, they probably feel like they were slandered quite a bit. And I think pride at some point has, has to kick in that they, they definitely let Montrezl Harrell walk and whether they thought he was part of the cultural problem or not. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, they let Jermichael Green walk. They traded away Landry Shamit. They did acquire Luke Kennard and and Serge Ibaka. Uh, who knows how much Serge has has left in the tank? But they did give up the the sixth man of the year in Montrose Harrell. Like let, let's let's not make a mistake about that. It, it's the pressure can't be understated or overstated enough. Um, this is their year of any NBA team that they, they have the most pressure. Not not the not the Milwaukee Bucks. And I know that's crazy to say, but the Clippers have two two superstars that could leave them not just one they have two and they they mortgaged the house the farmhouse the beach house their third cousin they're uh, they mortgaged everything mm-hmm. to go for this run and that's all they're left of i still think they're extremely weak at point guard with pat bev um who knows really what lou will has has left in the tank chemistry is going to be a bitch for them they don't they have they're breaking in a new coach you know steve balmer's got expectations through the roof it almost feels a lot like a, a Trader Bob, a Bob Woodset type mm. of team where they made a bunch of just drastic changes. Here's all the talent in the world here and now go work with it. Um, Paul George, it, it's really going to be interesting to see how he bounces back. He, he looked god-awful in, in the bubble. Uh, Kawhi really wasn't up to his standard of play as well. If either of those two slip just a bit, they're going to drop down. But But for now, more out of just cautious optimism, I'll leave them at two. Uh, let's talk about the Blazers. You have them at two. I have them at three. Um, why?
1: I thought you were going to say they mortgaged me and you, your mama and your cousin too, but it's all good. I haven't been on my A game as well. Um, I, I think the Blazers are number two because they're, don't get me wrong. There's a ton of pressure on the Portland trail Blazers and we're, we're looking at them through the like closest frames. We're this is the Blazers podcast. We we'd look at every single game. But right now, they addressed every single issue outside of backup point guard. I mean, they got players that can play defense. They got they got bigs for days. They have depth for the first time in a year. So when you give Damian Lillard and you give CJ McCullum and you give Nurkic, if they all stay healthy and you give them depth, great things can happen, like that point nine shot. Great things can happen like the game seven against Denver. So with those assets and my faith in Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, I'm putting them number two.
0: Yeah, it's it's hard to argue with that because I, I would have to argue this is the most talented Portland team that Damian Lillard has been a part of uh, top to bottom. He's got the top end talent with, you know, CJ and Nurk, but you've got the depth. And I think depth is where you win in this league if you don't have the two the two top 10 players and only a couple of franchises can, can um, really have that in in their, in their bag. Portland's not one of them. They never will be. So they're going to have to win like the O4 Pistons. Uh, they're going to have to do it depth and they're going to have to do it with continuity, chemistry, culture. Dame is good enough to lead them. I truly believe he is good enough to be the best player on a championship winning a caliber team. We saw how good this team was when they Acquired NS Cantor in 2019 and Rodney Hood. Rodney Hood's gotten better. Um, yes, he's coming off an injury, but pre injury, he was shooting 50% from three. Um, Robert Covington, I, I think he he's the key. Uh, if he could be the Scotty Pippen in 99, the Buck Williams in 89, if he can be that type of move and have that type of impact, uh, just defensively, his versatility, offensively, he's going to be able to hit the shots. I just love the the onus on defense. You know, you got the depth in defense. You've got the veteran leadership in Carmelo Anthony. You've got just a good type of player in Gary Trent Jr. who brings that just dog attitude. Mm-hmm. I think you've got a lot of dogs on this team. And this cancer played with one fucking shoulder for like three series, and he was doing that while he was practicing Ramadan, which didn't allow him to have any food or drink for, during from sunrise to um, to sundown. I mean, he was just going at it gave it his all you've got player nurk his grandma passed away and he still he still went out and and played for his team and that doesn't make him a better player for me if he would have left that would have been just as fine but it just still goes to show that the commitment that he has to this his brotherhood this team that he has um i think you've got a team that that wants it they realized last year was a bit of a miss um whether it was personnel whether it was injuries they want to get back. They, they want to get back to that 2019 spot. And I could easily see them being number two. And, and I'm hopeful they will because they had a fantastic offseason. Um, but number one, I think we both have the Lakers, and it's probably, you know, they're the champs until they're not the champs. Mm,
1: you gotta you gotta take their crown. And I think the Blazers will do it with their heads still on it. With the Blazers, I don't I feel like there was a humongous lack of communication. I mean, it has to be one of the reasons why that our rotation was so god awful is the lack of communication. But you replace Hassan, who I don't think talked very much, with uh, Nurk. And then you got a guy like Robert Covington, who is a known team pl- uh, defender. So there's going to be a more, uh, it's going to be a more commutative uh defense and I think that's going to be a huge thing too so I know Tara Biggs is all about like the finger pointing and the communication I think this is a team that she's going to see a lot of uh, a lot of communication uh, on the defensive and offensive ends
0: I I can't remember how many times I would sit in the stands and Hazonia, Simons, um, white side would be in there. They would just miss rotations, bro. There was no communication. The rotations were so bad, so bad. It was like, I was watching a JV basketball team. I was like, you guys are professionals, get your shit together. And now you got guys out there who, okay, they're going to talk. They're, they're going to be smart. Look how well Miami played defensively be, team. Like it, it's like an offensive line. You don't just put the five best players out there. You put the five best that work as one unit, because when you're on defense, for the most part, you have to play as one. Like in the NBA, there's never just going to be one defender that's going to change the the outcome of a game. Like it's not man to man defense anymore. You can play a zone. It kind of can. You can shift away from from a prime defender. If you get a defensive unit that works cohesively, they communicate, and that you work just as one single unit, and, and you can start to think about what the other defender is going to do. Oh, you're going to rotate here. Okay. I'm going to come from the backside or, okay, no, I've got this double team and you just start to get more tips, maybe get more fast break opportunities. I mean, points off turnovers have been our bugaboo f- forever. And hopefully that, that comes with, with time and it, it's going to, I don't expect Portland to be, to be like gangbusters uh, right off the bat, but the potential is, is sure there, Sage.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, I mean, we're not going to see the 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 best version of that defense until later in the year, there's going to take, it's going to be a process, but as long as there's communication between the center and the point guard and the, and then the guy that's helping on the, uh, that's digging in on the, uh, the play there's going, it's going to be better. I'm tired of seeing the most wide open three pointers because we don't rotate. I think that that is going, that Neil O'Shea addressed that in the uh offseason with Robert Covington and, djj and gary trent jr is probably going to get more time to to pound the the ball handler
0: yep and what we have what we're saying is in line with what a lot of our fans are saying we ran this poll yesterday on twitter 65 percent said portland's a three to four team out west uh with 26 percent saying we're la's top threat so Sage, I think now is the time. We got quite a few fan questions. Everyone is excited about this team, and uh, let's answer those before we wrap up this this episode. Nope. So up first, we have a question from Brianna at Just Being Beans on Twitter. Wants to know with a Ibaka. Uh, ended up going for for what he did, which was around the mid-level exception to the Clippers. Do you think we still made the right moves in retrospect, probably in terms of Jarek Jones Jr. and all those other additions that we made?
1: Hmm. I think that it takes two to tango with a lot of these negotiations. And Serge Ibaka is probably looking for a place that is a big market where he can do his cooking show and do all the other things and, ha- and focus on basketball, of course, but LA has a lot more opportunities than the Blazers. Unfortunately, Neil o'Shea did the best that he could with the people that are willing to take that offer. Like there, there there's other factors than just here's our $9 million salary versus their nine, you know? So I think Neil did what he could and it's a, it's, it's a risk, but Shit, Jay Crowder's a risk too. There's everybody. It's it's about it's about taking the risk that they find the most uh, easy to take. And I guess Neil thought thought that it was it was the right move.
0: I think in a nutshell, I would rather have Jay Crowder, sure, at his contract than what we gave for Derek Jones Jr. I would have rather taken Chris Dunn and Mo Harkless than what we got for for Jay or for what we got for Derek Jones Jr. But Looking at it collectively from a, from a higher perspective, the addition of Carmelo Anthony, I think softened the blow on not getting a guy like Jay Crowder um, and knowing that we still have a roster spot open and just, you know, seeing if Derek Jones can, can become that defender. Uh, he's got really good advanced metrics at closing out on three point shooters, which was a, a huge knock on our defense last year. And hopefully he's ready to, to take that next step. So yeah, I think overall it, it does take it takes two to tango. Um, mm-hmm. So I think you're a- entirely right there, Sage. Um, next question comes from at Rip Village. He wants to know what's the deal with any uh, CJ or excuse me Gary Trent or Zach Collins extensions.
1: I think that we're gonna wait till next year for the Zach Collins one. I I wouldn't be surprised if a uh, Gary Trent e- uh, extension happens. Gary's proven himself in the uh, bubble and his play during last season being healthy. He's proven that he deserves that next extension. I think that it's too premature for a Zach Collins extension since he hasn't shown the ability to stay healthy throughout the year. So uh, yay to uh, Gary, nay to uh, Zach.
0: Yeah, I would. If I was Neil, I would definitely try to get a bargain on Gary Trent Jr. and see if uh, they want to get an extension just based off of the bubble performance. But I think we'll have to wait until the off season to to get that done. You know, clutch wants their money, bro. Absolutely, Uh, Zach Collins. There's no chance in hell. Um, Just he's been injured. He hasn't really played basketball since the 2019 season. Um, How many healthy games did he play in that entire like three plus? He got hurt on the third game of the regular season, and then he played the first eight. He got hurt in the play-in game. Yeah, so. Played played 11 games, so that's a a rough. That's a a small
1: sample size. A
0: rough sample size, and frankly, he didn't look super good there, too, and now you factor in Portland getting a lot of extra uh, competition for, for minutes at his position. I think Zach either gets traded or... Is is a victim of the qualifying offer. So qualifying offer means he gets one year at a at a set salary, but then he becomes unrestricted, um, a restricted free agent, or unrestricted free agent. Excuse me. Right. We can afford to
1: kick the can, uh, the Zach Collins can, down the road for one more year, and then it's either the qualifying trade him, or I guess sign him to a big deal, which I don't see happening.
0: Yeah, So staying along with the Zach Collins front, um, Tara Biggs, as you mentioned, at uh, TCB Biggs, has a couple of questions uh, about Zach um, saying, has everyone forgotten about Collins? How does he fit in with the new players? And she specifically quotes the the Woj tweet about his, he didn't include Zach Collins in that young timeline where he said, you know, they've got Simons and then we've got Trent and they've got Little He's Woj forgot Zach Collins. Was that a Freudian tweet uh, on his part? Was it just the fact that Woj tweets a million times a day? Um, But yeah, what are your overall thoughts on Zach? Because it feels like he's kind of the the odd man out just at the moment.
1: I think that he's the odd man out this moment. I mean, you've got to assume that Neil Neil O'Shea only talks to Woj. That's the only news that comes from from the Blazers that is any good. If he didn't include Zach Collins in this press release, it's on Neil. It's not on Woj. Well, so it wasn't I, a press release. It was or, just you know, a tweet. You know. Adding his own, you know,
0: Woj likes to add his own uh, like to certain things.
1: Okay, sorry. about not a press release, but a tweet. And you know Neil O'Shea approved, like, he had input on this. If he didn't, if it wasn't inputted on the tweet, he might be in a bad place for this team. He hasn't done much in the last year to to solidify his position on the team with being hurt so much.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think we are forgetting about Zach, whether it's it's fair or not. The injuries are, are pretty scary in the fact that a lot of them are very minimal contact. Uh, the shoulder injury was fluke. You look at the, the replay and I honestly thought he was going to come back in the game. He had a major um, just pain that needed to be surgically repaired. And it kept him out for, for quite some time. You, you look at the ankle injury he suffered in the Memphis play-in game. There was no footage of even what happened. It, it just, he's like, I can't play on it. And I, again, you're like, what what's going on? So you don't want him to end up to be a Zudrunas Ilgauskas where he's hurt every single year and it takes him four years before he can start consistently playing um the time is ticking for Zach. Uh the time is ticking for the Blazers to win now. And if you can get some sort of value for him, you probably look to do that. And you know, it's it's terrible that it's because of the injuries and not because of performance. But that's just kind of the nature of of the, the game we we watch and love. Is if he's not out there, if he's not considered a reliable piece to the puzzle, we can't count on him because we put all of our eggs in the Zach Collins basket in the 20. 19 offseason, we're like, okay, Chief, we're gonna let you go. Zach, you you performed well enough in the postseason. We're gonna think you're gonna take that next jump for us. It just didn't happen. And then when he came back, he, he Nyrk looked like his former self even better. Zach looked worse, and that's it's it's hard to compare players. Uh, it's not apples to apples, but it's what we all saw. We all saw Carmelo come in and play better. We know Robert Covington is a much better player. Um, And then you factor in, okay, we're getting this young guy with potential, just like you and Harry Giles, what's going to happen? So, I mean, as a, as a Blazer fan, I've kind of relegated to the fact that Zach Collins is is just not a part of this team's future. And I hope to be proven wrong, but I I just, I haven't seen it in probably since like game six of the semifinals uh, against the the nuggets when he had that block on Jokic from the weak side, like I was like all in on Zach and it it just hasn't happened for, for better or or for worse. Yeah. I
1: I mean, it's unfortunate, but it's a, what have you shown me lately type of league and it's a business. And if, if Zach Collins was healthy, there would be a lot more uh, positive thoughts about him, but we still don't know his recovery. Do we?
0: I mean, no, and that's the scary thing is there has been not a word from the team or his agent or Zach personally about how his rehabilitation is going. We don't know if he's even going to be able to start the season, and we stopped playing in early September. So for the fact that we haven't heard anything, like is this a chronic injury? Like maybe he just won't be able to play. Like you have to have a you have to have bones and a body to to go. I mean mm-hmm. that's just
1: and you know he's going to be on a if he plays this year he's on a men's restriction. You can't risk a, uh, play a stress fracture. You saw what happened with Drew Holiday. He overplayed, and it happened again. You can't. Terry Stotts has a problem with minutes limits. Once Zach comes back, he has to be on the note. There needs to be an assistant coach that counts his minutes. We can't. We can't press our luck with Zach Hollins, because if we do and something bad happens, man, it it it. it it leads to a very slippery slope of some decisions and some bad things happening. So we have to really be prepared to, to see him in
0: limited time. Yeah. And her second part of the question, how he fits in with current players. I think he's strictly a five and you kind of go from there. You can play Robert Covington at the four mellow at the four, like when he's healthy, he's, he's versatile, but I think he's not quick enough to guard, uh, power forwards and in today's NBA, I think he's a five. And I think he's got to put on a little bit more weight to, you know, battle down low, but that's where he fits to me. Like he's your five, he can pick and pop. Uh, he's gotta be able to play defense, rebound the basketball weak side shot block. And for him, I think the biggest thing is, is health and just a consistent jump shot there. He, he you just never knew whether it was going to go in or not. And he does the same forms. Like he's almost like Myers Leonard in the sense that he's just thinking in the game too much instead of just going out there and letting it fly. So Tara had one other question and it was based off of a tweet that was floating around um, at the NBA central says John Hollinger projects Hassan Whiteside to get $17.2 million in free agency via the athletic. She says, how is this going? Because clearly Hassan Whiteside is still available and Bobby Marks had his own list of free agents and what they could go for and had him going more for about 4 to $6 million. Um, I personally don't know what John Hollinger was smoking. I don't think anybody expected Hassan to get $17 million, but uh, was that a mystery? I mean, his
1: agency must have been very nice to John Hollinger to make him have that large-ass projected salary. I Bigs aren't getting paid like that. Huh? He, he produced well for the Blazers. I don't think that many teams think that that can transition to their team. The draft just happened. So the Warriors are happy with James Wiseman. Knicks are happy with Obi Toppin. It's a, it's a dried up market for a big man. So I think Hassan has to be patient and a deal will come for him, but it's not going to be at the max
0: salary. Oh no. I think max is completely out of the question. I think Mid-level, honestly, is probably out of the question. I think he's going to have to bet on himself. I think he's going to have to take a one-year deal. He's going to have to ball out and then go into the 2021 free agency market and say, hey, I may be a throwback center, but I can thrive in this league. He needs to go somewhere where he can start. I don't think he performs well off the bench. Um, he needs to start. He needs to get up there, have an impact, play a full 35, 38 minutes a night, um, really get the sweat going so we can just get into his rhythm. Mm. Um, he needs to be utilized. He needs, to, he wasn't a fit in Portland because we are not a lob offense. He's good off of the lob. Um, he's not a good pick and roll. So I, I know a lot of the NBA is, is really on the pick and roll, but Hassan just doesn't set a lot of good screens. He's more of a rib runner. He's a lob threat. And I think we could have done a better job at even just dumping it down to him a couple of times because he shot an incredibly high percentage from the floor when he got his touches. But, you know, there's been rumors that Sacramento was was interested, maybe Boston, but Boston picked up Tristan Thompson. Um, so I just don't know how many starting jobs are left out there. So he he may have to just figure out a way to get himself going off of the bench. And I, you know, I, I don't know really where he fits, Sage.
1: I think he should go to the Suns and have Chris Paul yell at him and throw him lobs.
0: I, I don't know if he would respond well to CP3s. <laughs> I don't, I wouldn't personally.
1: I think, I think that we're looking for a team that can utilize his strengths. I think Chris Paul is probably one of the best point guards at utilizing a player's strengths. Maybe him taking a prove it contract in and being a a mentor to uh, their center. I don't know, man. It's tough. It's tough to find that role. And I'm trying, I'm just trying to think of the point guard that can give him the best opportunities to succeed. And I, I guess it might be a little lazy of me to think, but Chris Paul could probably do it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I feel bad for Hassan. he clearly wanted to be here when, when uh, the, the trade happened, he bought a home in Portland. He did a lot of renovations on it. If you follow him on Instagram, um, clearly wanted to be here for more than one season. It just didn't work out. And um, I don't think there's any hard feelings. I, I still like him as a player. I um, wished it would have worked out. Hope he finds himself a job. Um, but the time will tell, you know, there's still a couple of free agents out there and, and we'll see where, where he lands. But Sage, those were all of our questions. it has been a, a doozy of a podcast. Um, any last words for, for our listeners? Um,
1: you can check us out on iTunes, Google play, Stitcher, Himalaya podcast, dash radio, nothing but net radio Tuesdays two to 3 PM Pacific four to five Eastern. And, uh, we out of here. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody.
0: Let's go!